Welcome to the Do Good to Lead Well podcast. If you're passionate about mastering self-leadership, then you're in the right place. I have always been curious about and fascinated by the pursuit of leadership excellence. This is why I pursued my PhD in psychology with a specialization in business, and I've continued to dedicate my career to understanding the science and practice of positive leadership. My name is Craig Dowden. I'm a best-selling author, award-winning keynote speaker, executive coach, and member of the Forbes Coaches Council. Each week, I'll bring you world-class content on the science and practice of positive leadership. Through my conversations with best-selling authors, TED speakers, and top CEOs, you'll be able to leverage their insights and experience so you can maximize your potential and be the leader the world needs you to be. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Do Good to Lead Well webinar and now podcast series. My name is Craig Dowden, and I'm your host today. Really appreciate that you took the time out of your hectic schedules to join us. Really appreciate the ongoing support for this podcast, the Do Good to Lead Well podcast. Absolutely thrilled to let people know that we are now ranked in the top 3% of podcasts globally. So very excited about that. And what I love most about hosting this series is that I have just the amazing, great fortune to speak with incredible guests, such as my guest today. And I'm only going to be able to provide a brief bio for Tracy. And I've been really excited. We've had some amazing discussions already and in the quote unquote green room before we started today. It's just so much fun. So Tracy Folks Hansen is the president and CEO of the Canadian Society of Association Executives where she takes pride in providing strategic leadership through positive engagement and a member-driven approach. Tracy has held senior positions for leading brands in the private and nonprofit sectors, including the Ontario Chamber of Commerce, the Whitby Chamber of Commerce, MasterCard International, Kinark, Child and Family Services, and the Arthritis Society. She's a passionate advocate for vibrant communities, continues to actively serve on numerous boards and committees, and was also elected to the Whitby Town Council in 2010. How cool is that as a North Ward counselor? Tracy has received the Queen Elizabeth II Diamond Jubilee Medal, the MasterCard International President's Award, and has been recognized by Strategy Magazine as one of the 50 most influential marketers in Canada. So, and that's just the tip of the iceberg. Tracy, thank you so, so much for being here. It's awesome to have you join this program. Thanks for having me, Craig. I'm, I'm really excited about our conversation. I'm delighted to be here. One of the things that I think is so cool is that you describe yourself as an aspiring do-gooder. So from yeah. a match standpoint, I'm thinking how perfectly matched are we in this? You're very passionate about social good and, yeah. and having a social purpose. And I think that's so valuable today. Can you walk us through how that manifests, why that's so important to you, because I think it's such an important uh, topic of conversation. I think first and foremost, it has been, you know, a thread that has been part of my career from the beginning. But if I go back, it's it's been a thread doing, you know, social good and, and leaving the world a better place has always been a part of who I am. It's more about making a difference as opposed to making an impact, although you can do both at the same time. It's often more about being a member of the community and a citizen as opposed to being 
a consumer. And those roots started, obviously, with family. They started with my parents. I grew up in rural Ontario. My parents were very involved in the community. And so that that sticks with you. I was talking to my sister the other day. We all played softball when we were kids. I have two sisters. We played softball. My mom was a coach. My dad coached the men's league, but then umpired the girls' league. I was much smaller than my sisters, so I often tagged a base when I might have been tagged by the second base player who had the same last name as me. But both of my parents were avid volunteers, and so we ended up being the same way. And so when I started to work, I just always had this vision of what's the why and how do I tie it into what's important to me? I think that probably stems back to values. And so when we develop values in any organization that I've been with, it's really important to make sure that in order for me to be my true authentic self, that my values match up to the organizations that I've been a part of. And I'm I'm really grateful that that's always happened. And if it hasn't been there in the beginning, then there's always an opportunity to, to make change wherever you are. Again, such kindred spirits, because that's part of a big part of why I wanted to write my first book, Do Good to Lead Well, because sometimes people see it as almost they are competing objectives or, right, you have to choose where you're going to really leverage. And I think there's so much, I love that spirit around, well, how can we serve our communities the best that we possibly can? How I love how you frame Tracy, how can we make a positive difference? And then other things take care of themselves because fundamentally, and especially in a time of disruption, like right now, it can be incredibly, incredibly important. It is incredibly important to be able to have, make that connection. Amanda was wondering, I love that you talked about what's the why I've struggled with that question. Any advice for Amanda around how you can get clear on defining the why? You have to really lean into it. Leaning into it means you really have to look into yourself for what your own why is, and then you have to be willing to share it. And then you have to be willing to explore what's the strategy of the organization that you're with? What is the strategy of the project that you're working on? What's the purpose? Really explore it and not be afraid to explore it. I think, Craig, to your point, you know, sometimes we feel like we're at odds wanting to do good fights with the bottom line or any kind of deliverable, and they can match really well or marry really well. It's not about one or the other. It's about how do you how do you put them on the same track and take it forward? The most important thing, Amanda, is to understand, to really be able to articulate mostly to yourself what your why is, what the purpose is, what is the thing that it is that you're trying to to change, what is the good that you're trying to do, and be able to articulate it and then add it into the plans. I really believe that social good can be the cornerstone for any organization, whether it's for-profit or not-for-profit. And it's all incumbent upon us, right? Because it's the people who we do the work for a reason, for a purpose, for a why. That's the thing that I do. I sit in it. I think about it. I tear it apart. I think about what's the question behind the question, what's the behavior behind the why, so that I can get to it. And then I keep it front and center. What I love about your answer, Tracy, is about the importance of starting with self and clarity within self, because sometimes what I find is that people can be in a rush to start communicating. And unless we're really clear, and I love that you're highlighting that, get into it, lean into it, as you say, and immerse yourself in that. And the clearer we are in that purpose, well, the more effective we'll be when it comes time to communicate it. Such a powerful insight for each of us as we're navigating this. I'm not surprised more questions coming in. (laughs) I have a list and I knew there would be questions. Todd loves the focus on social purpose. Any advice for organizations in terms of how they can start to think about 
infusing social purpose into the fabric of who they are. Yes. Talk to your people. Talk to your teams. Talk to the employees. Talk to your whoever it is that you service. In our case, in, in the case of associations, it's our members. Talk to your customers. That conversation, having open, honest conversation about where we are in the world, what's happening in the world, and how we can, through the work that we do or through the organizations that we work for, how we can affect any kind of positive change, that's the best way to adopt things. That's the best way to to really find that nugget of whatever's really important and then take that forward. It's all driven by people. We are, we're all human beings. We saw that during the pandemic, starved for being able to connect with each other found new ways to do it hence we're we're virtual but it's great because look at the look at the reach for that you can reach out to all of those people for me it starts with myself and then it starts with with my team and it and it starts with what are the things that are in fact important to us and what do we think we can do about it and that's how we start to build out a plan and we have several initiatives in our strategic plan. And because we're a not-for-profit, our members elect our board of directors and they're all in as well. So as you start to trickle it out and define what it is you want to do and what the outcome for your organization will be, what the outcome will be for the people of your organization and the people who are served by your organization, being able to define that is a way forward, is a way to really get it started. Really appreciate the collaborative nature of what you're talking about, because for to really inspire and engage everyone in that pursuit, it is all about so having conversations and figuring out what's important to people and then aligning around that. And I think it's such a powerful way to be able to get extraordinary clarity on that and then to be able to get lots of motivational energy, if you will, to, to keep that going. So I, it's something I really appreciate about your leadership journey and philosophy, Tracy. And now I've got another question. Keep coming in fast and furious. So Lauren was wondering, what about for people who think pursuing social good gets in the way of being effective as an organization or draws attention away from the bottom line? Like, How would you suggest responding to that criticism or counter argument? Such an excellent question. For me, it goes back to our members. Are our members asking for information on, I'll use EDI as an example. Are our members looking for that information? The answer is yes. It's important to us. It's important to our members so that we can embed it into the overall strategy. Connecting that to the bottom line or the or, uh, the objectives of the organization, we need to try to in- make sure that social purpose or social good is on the agenda or is one of the objectives. Beyond that, we need to be able to illustrate that if we do good in the world, if we get something right in making the world a better place, then our customers or our members or the people that we serve connect back into that because it's relevant to all of us at the end of the day. And so if you create that string of relevancy, you'll be able to illustrate it and talk about it. And it will affect the bottom line. It'll affect the top line, the bottom line, and everything in between. And I love how you talk about, again, tracking that, bringing it forward, and and making it an ongoing agenda item, if you will, so to continue to check back in. And another question from Tim, how do you differentiate your social purpose versus your social impact? (laughs) 
Geez, Tim, I ask you the same thing. It's the social purpose is the thing that you choose to do, right? It's the thing that we choose to do. And so we put energy behind it and we put some work behind it. And we do it, again, back to the purpose of why we're doing it. Just like laying up any kind of business objective or organizational objective, there's an outcome, there's an impact. What do we want that to be? And what do we think it can be? And I think that you start with your purpose, then you start the journey. We always do that. Strategically, we always tend to do that with some kind of outcome in mind. I think that's the impact. If you take a social purpose initiative, you know what it is that you want to change. That's your impact. And you can measure it as you go, just like any other strategy or just like any other plan, action plan that you put in place. Measuring is important. As we all know, we've heard it for many, many, many years, things that get measured actually get done. Social good is the same thing. It still has to have that impact, or you could just be doing it for a very long time and not realizing or not recognizing what the goal was. So it's a bit circular, I think. And again, this is why it's so much fun to host this series because they have amazing guests on like yourself and have very thought-provoking questions as well. We can dig into those into those pieces. I think it's a wonderful way of describing, okay, so what's our why? And then what are going to be those the indicators? How are yeah. we going to measure that? And we have a question from uh, on that very topic from Julie wondering, any advice about how you pick those measures so you can figure out, like, so translating your social purpose and, and, and tracking your the impact of your social purpose, any suggestions around better or worse indicators? I think there is. I, listen, I think social purpose, I think doing good in the world is fundamentally not easy all the time. And I think that there are some very easy indicators that you can lay up that make sense. And there are some that will be much harder. And so when you look at what's happening in the world today, we look at many different things. How do you bring about that change? I think you have to put in incremental indicators or outcomes. And in a lot of cases, it's baby steps. And one of the things that we say often is we may not get it right the first time or the second or even the 10th, but we'll keep trying until we do. And we'll keep trying things by listening from an EDI perspective, again, using it as an example, because it is really something that's very important to us in terms of being an inclusive organization, really focusing on and talking to the people, talking to everybody in terms of what are, what do those markers actually look like? And, you know, how do we get from step A to step B to step C? And it's really just plotting it out and knowing that you're not going to go from A to Z in a, in a short period of time when you're trying to bring about change, particularly positive change. Being able to be flexible and nimble and recognize that we're all here to just keep learning. And I think that's how you sort of establish your markers, challenging ones and less so, right? There's the, what is it, the low-hanging fruit and then the longer-term vision. The other thing that I will say is, particularly during the last few years, um, one of the things that I consistently said was, we'll just keep our eye on the horizon. Because at some point, we'll come out of this. We don't know when, so we won't put a clock on it. But what do we look like as we come out of this? How do we want to be in the world? And we looked at that from the perspective of the organization that I run. And I also looked at it from the, how do I want to be when I come out of this? Because we've all been changed by the last few years, not just the way we work and not just the way uh, we interact from a, from a professional perspective. But each human being on the face of this earth over the last few years has been changed 
by what? By the pandemic. And it's what we do with that as we go forward. That's the piece, I think, when it comes to setting any kind of indicators, tough or not so tough, is keep your eye on the horizon because you know where you want to go. You know, you know what it looks like. And the journey is never going to be linear. It's going to be a bit like this. And accept yeah. that makes it easier. You, thank you. And a couple of points I want to really highlight that resonated with me in particular, Tracy, is that that notion of a, it's a continuous journey. And so and the important part is to start that journey, as you say. So put things out there and measure them, assess them, and then be open to evolving. It's not the end of the line. Just keep that going. And, and we learn through application. And then we may broaden some, make them more challenging. We may bring others back. This is all a part of that evolution. So I love that perspective because if you listen to and people talking about, so what are the critical skills, agility, flexibility, adaptability, all those things. And you're, you're absolutely touching on that point. And I think I do want to highlight that question that you asked, because as we've gone through race through this pandemic, I just think that question, I want to bold underline, highlight that like. What do we want to be when we go as we move through and as we move beyond? Right. Because it can so quickly, we can get stuck in old ways and or just kind of be attached to the to the past. And I think it's this is, as you said, the pandemic has profoundly affected every single human being on this planet in some way, shape or form. And so now asking ourselves that more strategic question. And our organization, that strategic question really prompts a powerful moment of pause. And it's interesting, you know, having other conversations, people have asked me either on this program or elsewhere is that, are we going to learn? Are we going to maintain the lessons that this, this experience as difficult and challenging as it is brought to light? And so ask, I love your question, Tracy. It's absolutely awesome. And so I've got another question on the value side. Ken was wondering. So any tips, suggestions, things to do or not to do about how you bring values or values discussion into the organization around identification and, and living values would love to get your take on that. I have three values that I live by myself, honesty, respect, and spirit. You can transpose passion for spirit or enthusiasm. How, how I've done it in the past and what's worked for me in the past is bring your people together. The people who work in the organization, like do the work in the organization, we have our board and, you know, the board buys into the values and our members do. It has to start with the people who have to live by them in order to deliver them. You know, our values, we don't trade off on. They are the, they're the foundation. Uh, they're the bedrock of what we believe as an organization and as a team. So they were developed by the very people who have to, in fact, live by them. That's always worked for me. And it certainly worked at CSAE. And then once they're established, we look at them quite frequently. So we have team huddles once a month. We do it virtually now. And every few months, we'll bring up the values. We'll divide off into groups and everyone will take a value. And then they have to come back and share how they have seen this particular value lived in the last few months within the organization, whether it's a member or a director or a volunteer or one of our, one of our own employees. And we do that for a lot of reasons. Number one, so we never forget them. But also, uh, number two, because you can see where it stems from us as anchoring the organization and then ripples out. So 
I think it was Ken, I think, uh, who asked the question. That is, in fact, what we do. And that's what has worked for us. We established them with the team. We made sure, in our case, that the board and volunteers all agreed with them. And then we checkpoint them at regular, frequent intervals uh, with the team who has to be a part of them. Even when we onboard new new team members, this is our mission. This is our vision. This is our mandate. This is our mission. This is the work that we do. This is the bedrock and this informs how we work and how we operate in the world. What I really appreciate about it is that, okay, so once again, it's a collaborative process. And by revisiting it in the team meetings, now it demonstrates it's a priority. And I love that extra step around, okay, how have you seen this lived? Because sometimes you, you hear a value, you hear, you know, the word yet. So how is that manifest? And, and I can only imagine how powerful that is for people to bring their own personal stories of celebration and observation to the table. And then others who may not have viewed it in a particular way can then go, oh, this is a way I can live that value. Right, exactly. The pandemic has affected us in so many ways, as you've talked about, like, what are some of the ways in which it's it's affected you, potentially changed your philosophy around leadership and life or ways in which it's maintained, maybe amplified? I'm curious about your experience. For an extrovert, it was very tough. There were tears at the outset of the pandemic. It was really tough for someone like me who really gets my energy, a lot of it, from being around other people. So I had to find ways to do that. And one of the things that I did was to establish a forum, an informal video chat that we do with CSE members. We called it Talk Tuesdays. I don't know, it came to me one day. At the start, we did it every week because I thought if if I'm, I often go to myself, I often go to what's sitting in my stomach, what's bothering me. And, and the thought occurred to me that if I was really you know, having a hard time, that it meant that my other other leaders of other associations were having, could be experiencing similar things. So we created this forum. It's still going today. We don't do it every week. Now we do it once a month. But some of those early conversations were just vital. It wasn't about, you know, how do we keep the lights on at the organization? It wasn't about hanging on. It wasn't about business continuity or any of our strategic plans that we all had in place. And if we didn't have them in place, we were scrambling to get them in place. It wasn't about pivoting to a virtual world or any of that. It was about, I'm here and I'm here to listen to you. What do you need from me? Do you need a shoulder to cry on? Do you need, do you just need someone to say, we're all in this together? So that was something that I did very quickly. I hope that my members think that I did it for them. I did, but somewhat not altruistically, I did it for myself as well. So that was something that I needed to do for me. I mentioned about keeping your eye on the horizon. That was really important for me. We all like to see goals finished, right? I'm a list maker. I like to check things off. I have big ideas and I'm like, yeah, let's do that. No, let's do that. And I needed to make sure that I had that collaborative space with my team. So we created space to be able to do that. I also needed to, as I said earlier, not put a timeline on when the pandemic was going to end because I didn't have a crystal ball, nor did anybody else. And it was just, how do we pace ourselves through a few years that we experienced? Particularly, I know, Craig, we meant, I talked about the lockdown years. I now say, now, now I say, I think it's safe to say post-pandemic. For a while, I was saying semi-post-pandemic. 
And for a long time, I was saying during the lockdown years. Now I operate, our organization is 100% virtual. It made sense for our organization. We have, we spend a lot of time and energy in making sure that everybody stays really connected because I'm not the only extrovert on our team. So we needed to make sure that we did that. So we do a lot of that. So that's organizationally kind of, I'm going to go somewhere else because I worked for Kinar Child Family Services for several years. They are the largest children's mental health agency in the province of Ontario. But one of the things during the pandemic, I think, you know, we talked about a lot it, in general circles, people talked about. And now I think we're seeing a lot of the effects of the pandemic and, and particularly those lockdown periods on our mental health and our mental wellness. I'm going to go off on a bit of a tangent, but I promise I'll come back. I saw on the weather report today with all of the smoke coming down, I live in rural Ontario still, about an hour and a half outside of Toronto. And so I saw the alert. And one of the things further down in the alert was the concern about mental health issues that could develop with that sense of having to be locked, staying indoors and that that sense of being locked down again. And I thought, finally, finally, someone wrote about a current issue and what you can do about it if you're feeling your anxiety or you're starting to feel a little less like yourself than you normally do. And so I'm grateful for the years that I spent at Kinark and the folks that I got to work with, the clinicians and the clinical directors, because it made me so much aware and we still fight the stigma. I find help when I need help. And it's not just from the pandemic. It's also when you're in the seat that I'm in, there aren't a lot of places. I have some sounding boards and I put them in place so that I can go to people to say, I, I don't know about this or I'm, I'm a, I'm, I am maybe I might be struggling with this. I made sure during the pandemic and I make sure that I continue that practice to, to look after myself because I can't lead anybody if I'm not being my true authentic self. I can't lead by example. If I'm willing to say out in the world, you need a little bit of help, go and get it. If I'm not willing to do the same thing for myself. So I, so I absolutely do that. And I encourage everybody to do that. And it doesn't even mean that you need professional help, although that's there and you shouldn't avail yourself. I think we all just need to be aware of being in the world and being the way you want to be in the world. And the best way for that for me through the pandemic, pre-pandemic, during and post-pandemic is to make sure that I, that I look after myself, unapologetically so. Again, several points that you're making, uh, Tracy, in terms of, well, that, that focus on self-care and ensuring that we're taking time for ourselves and recognizing the sports that we need and reach out for them because uh, that's very important. I remember a study that I've shared a bunch of times because it just was so powerful where they looked at help and people receiving help. And in 90% of the cases, 90% of the cases, where help was needed, the person had to ask for it. Such a powerful reminder lends itself so wonderfully to what you just shared about, just be open about it. And then I think to your point as well, the conversation about mental health has become more front and center. That, and these data have been, in, have been there for a long time, the warning signs, and that this is something that needs our attention. And to your point, I feel that certainly with the pandemic and now exactly the example, a great example you provided, we're now, we're not just commenting on the weather event. It's okay, here's here's a consequence. And these are things for us to be yeah. mindful of. And Tara has a follow-up question. Some leaders can be a little uncomfortable or wonder about, so what what are the limits of when it comes to mental health in my organization? So they can feel uncomfortable about how far they go down that path. Like, 
any advice around how to have a more informed conversation about what an organization and its senior leadership can do in terms of supporting the mental health of their of their employees? I think wellness initiatives within the within the employee group or the organization is really important. You can do something as simple as the government has a lot of wellness and links that you can send people to that won't cost the organization anything, right up to providing a wellness allowance for whether it's fitness or meditation or whatever. And then, of course, in our compensation packages, our benefits packages, we can look at all of the the actual availability for health. And I think just making it available to people and not shying away from making it available within the organization. That's certainly a way that I would introduce it. It's a, it's the way that I have introduced it. So I think that's a good place to start. There are lots of resources. Like anything, you can start just with that and then start to build it over time. We established a wellness committee, a wellness group among the team to figure out what were some of the things that we wanted to do, including you know little stretches during our team huddles right up to let's get together and do a yoga class somewhere. Let's have a yoga instructor do it virtually and we can all do it. There's no shortage of resources for you to find and think beyond what you normally think of when, I mean, people, I think when they think about mental health, they think about talking to therapists or counselors. There's lots of ways for us to stay well and to share that journey with others. So I think that's where I would go. That's what I would suggest. Well, and I really appreciate that taking a very broad view of mental health. And there are so many different ways in which that we can support that. I just fantastic examples of, of that. Wanted to ask a question because as we've gone through this, I mean, leadership just is front and center as well in terms of a topic of discussion. What do you feel are the key qualities, attributes that are essential for leaders uh, for today? And as we continue to move into the post-pandemic, we'll put that in air quotes, world. We'd love to get your perspective on that. We've already talked about, you know, being a champion for collaboration and teamwork. I often say that I've had a few good ideas in my career, but they've always become much better when I put them on the table and let everybody else contribute to them. I think in particular, because the way we work changed over the last few years, I I mentioned that we're 100% virtual. I know lots of people are hybrid and some people are back in the office, but the way we think about work changed. We were able to prove that we could work in a virtual environment and still be just as productive as we were when we were in the office, maybe more so because there's less time going to the, the water cooler. When I was at MasterCard years ago, we did research around the the famous priceless campaign. We introduced it in 1997. We did some research that supported and, and that built that. And, and around the world, when you asked people what was most important to them, family and friends were the number one and number two. They would interchange based on life segment, where you were in your life, that would change. But they were always number one and two. 11 different countries around the world, always number one and number two, family family and or friends interchangeably. You know, we all studied sociology in high school or, you know, we've all heard about it or we we listen to keynote speakers or whatever. We hear about the way society changes and it changes with the generations. I like to believe that I am an old dog that can be taught new tricks and I learn new things all the time. So learning, for me, that's fundamental as a leader. And I have I learn from those who are older than I am. So I have mentors that are older than I am and I learn from mentors who are younger than I am. And I call them mentors specifically because when I started my career or when I was in my 20s, the world has changed a lot. 
since then. We didn't have email. I remember the first fax machine, sorry. And so it, it changes. And just like the last few years, we have to continue to change. So that's another, uh, this list is going to get really long, Craig, but that's another piece about leadership that I think is fundamentally important is that we are consistently evolving, consistently learning, and then improving through that lens. And again, then it, I'm going to use a social purpose or a do good quote from Maya Angelou, when we know better, we do better. And I know exactly what she meant by that. But the more knowledge we have, the more we understand from the people around us, the, the better leaders that we can be. With that, we can empower the people that we work with and the people that we care about. We want to create those pathways for learning. I've always said another, I think, cornerstone of leadership is to work with people that are that are much brighter than you are and that, that challenge you. And I don't mean challenge and I'm not doing that challenging. I mean, they come up with brilliant ideas. I'm, I'm very grateful to have been able to work with so many incredible teams, particularly the one that I have at, at CSAE. We're all very adaptable and very flexible, but they're all really, really great at what they do. And then the other thing I think, or that works really well for me in terms of leadership, recognizing that people come into an organization or a business or or a not-for-profit association, and they have a job description and, and it says, you're going to do this. And I think it is vital as leaders that we recognize that that's what they're there to do, but there's all of this and it's incumbent upon us. It's our responsibility to make sure that they have access to all of those things that they want to try, they want to learn about, or they want to take part in. And so we do that. I do that quite frequently with all of the teams that I've worked with. You know, you might, you might be responsible for sponsorship development, but hey, you might also want to learn how to run an event. And so we make sure that that cross-training happens or the ability to jump into something that you may never have done before, whether that, you know, sitting on a committee so you can contribute to that or whatever. I think to wrap up the whole question around leadership, it is all of those things. I mentioned earlier about being my own self. That's the way I like to work. So it's the way that I convey. And I think when you're open and honest about that and what it is that you're trying to do, how, you know, what you want the culture to be, that's foundational to, to leadership in any organization. Again, whether it's for or not for profit. That'll carry you wherever you go. Perfect time to put this in that several people have commented behind that love. You live your value, your of honesty and spirit and respect. So people are noting that. And and I think what, what I really appreciate about what you're saying, Tracy, in particular around the authentic self, is that in a time of profound disruption, uncertainty, <laughs> ambiguity, when our values are clear to ourselves and and we can articulate those to others. Well, now that provides a calmness in the storm, if you will. So, okay, even if I disagree, you and I could have a, a really engaging dialogue, debate, uh, and have different perspectives. Yet I appreciate where you're coming from. So there's almost this foundation. I just feel that. So, so I love that you're drawing attention to that. Thank you. I think that and, center point of being able to have that debate, being able to have, you're, you're right, it is the anchor. I, I call it the bedrock. It is It is that place that anchors you. And by the way, I'm a firm believer in healthy debate. I firmly believe in being challenged. I always say I'm willing to be convinced otherwise. I say that to my children as well, who are no longer children, but you know what I mean. I'm going to paraphrase Adam Grant to uh, his column, New York Times column on languishing when everywhere. He said, I speak with the conviction as if I'm right and listen with the conviction as if I'm wrong. So I'm like, I love that. So many of us 
well, we'll speak with conviction. And then, you know, are we really that passionate about listening to the counter perspective? And I love your point, Tracy, that no, this is how we learn. This is how we grow. When people challenge our thinking, challenge our assumptions, raise an alternate point of view. And there's so much research around the power of diversity, how it improves metrics in so many different ways. Again, that's the best way we can test the limits of our upper potentials. So uh, I love this. Gregory really appreciated your observation about mentors and love how you have older mentors, younger mentors, any advice around how you choose good mentors and any suggestions about how you can approach the most effectively to engage as a mentor? Find people that you like. Find people that you like and that you can talk with. I've been really fortunate several times in my career, but certainly in the last 10 years, which is really kind of funny. I I spent the first, I don't even think I can say half anymore, but I like to say the first half of my career in the for-profit sector and the second half in the not-for-profit sector. So I often say, I stole it from Kathy Black, but I often say that I spent the first uh, half of my career chasing success and the second half chasing significance. My career was really based on marketing, communications, and brand building. So I'm fortunate to be a fairly decent communicator. I understand the basics of being able to communicate and communicate clearly. And I always describe myself as that, or I used to always describe myself as that. In the last you know, 10, 15 years of my career, I've worked as, you know, at senior levels in terms of like in stakeholder relations and, you know, people management and relationship building. And it's there where I've really found some solid mentors who, who, you know, I've gotten to know, I've known pretty quickly whether or not they're going to be a reliable source. Trust your own instincts when you're talking with someone. You have a pretty good handle on when someone's really going to be there for you. And when someone may not be always present for you. Develop that relationship. Make sure that there's someone that you like and that you can have a conversation with. I had a, a mentor from my time in the chamber chamber world or the chamber of commerce world. It, we just had dinner the other night and I've been invited to a luncheon next week with about 45, 50 other former chamber leaders. We're all going to get together. But this one individual on my very first day called me and said, welcome. And just here's my number. I'm not going to take any of your time. Here's my number. You can call me anytime. So that was fantastic. Look for people that sort of align with your values and align and and sort of have been around and, and understand the organization. I, 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 you know, I have a lot of members in my organization. A lot of them I consider to be mentors. I just had a conversation with someone about this in terms of where to find. And yes, I work for the Association of Associations. Look to your association. Look to every every industry, every profession, every trade, every business. There's an association for it. So whatever it is that you do, whether it's you know communications or finance or anything in between, there'll be an association. Go to your association and see if they have a mentorship program and see if you can meet with a few people. And just like they say about a doctor or a counselor or anybody else, you don't have to just stick with the first one that you find. And you don't just have to be mentored by one person. Thank you. And lots of, again, comments. And Gregory said fabulous, uh, wonderful insights. Just really appreciate, uh, once again, the anchoring of values and uh, and trusting your gut, if you will, in terms of so how do you how do you connect with the person? And then also from, and most importantly, from a value standpoint. And so you can make that connection and really appreciate that guidance too. Just the first person you meet doesn't have to be 
okay, yeah, you're now my mentor and things can shift and evolve as well. And so, and what they are looking for uh, in the relationship also is just really, really great. I'm not surprised we got a question from Chris on AI and chat GBT, which seems to be everywhere these days. So any thoughts around technology and machine learning and, and discussions that you're having in the organization or questions that you're pondering and how to prepare your organization for this next wave of, of change? Well, Chris, I'm a people person, so it terrifies me. And I'm not afraid of technology. This one, I'm just, I don't know enough about it, to be honest. But I will tell you that we are talking about it in our organization, what the implications will actually have on member-based organizations and what are the, the landmines that we may need to watch out for. And then the flip side of that is, how can we use it in a very positive way? It is, I think, on a lot of people's radars. We're actually going out with a, with a member survey and we're going to ask a few questions about, are you using it in your association? Have you thought about using it? How are you using it, if you are? And that will help inform question when I get it six months from now. Hopefully, I'll have a different response. I think like anything, we need to be aware of it. We need to start to understand it better and then start to understand whether or not it is something that would be used in a positive way to achieve your goals and objectives. That's what I'm going to do. I'm, I'm going to learn and then I'm going to assess. Someone wrote, thank you for your honesty around not not knowing, because I think that's the, 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 like where it's heading, because that's where we are. I'm in the same, like where anyone you ask, you ask AI experts, or, I, I'm not sure. Like we're figuring this out. And what I love about your answer, Tracy, is around that being aware of it, because I think that's critical because we just resist it. Well, now it's it's here. It's not coming. It's here. And I love the question around, OK, so how can we use it for good? What are the things, right? Like, how can we employ it in such a way that it adds benefits, makes right. a positive impact on our organizations, on our communities and being mindful of that question? So, no, really appreciate this sort Nearing the end, I can't believe how quickly uh, this time has gone. It's been so much fun, so many positive comments, terrific questions. Trina was wondering, what are what are your favorite leadership practices? Like how, what are some of the things that you love to do as a leader, as an executive? Oh man, there's, there's a lot of things. I love to spend time with my team. And I mentioned that we're 100% virtual now. So we do... We do a couple of things. We have our team huddle once a month. That's an opportunity for us to just get together, share information. It's like a, what would have been an old staff meeting. The other thing that we do is we use a virtual platform on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays, and we work out of the virtual platform. It's called Remo. It, when, you, when you look at the floor on your screen, there it's all filled with tables. And you know somebody could be at one table, and you could be at another table. If you want to hop over to their table, you just double click on their chair, and you're virtually transported and you can have a good old chit chat. I love that. We do that, as I said, Monday, Wednesday, and Fridays. We work out of it the whole morning. You know, you could have other meetings. You could be working on whatever it is that you're working on, but it's just, it's kind of a replication. It's a virtual replication of being in the office and walking down the hall to visit someone. It's one of my favorite things because I really, I just bounce around the tables and say, hey, how's it going? How's your cat? Or how's, how was the wedding? Or what did you do? So that's one of the things for me, that works really well in order to to really cultivate your culture and and really to keep evolving a positive, healthy culture. I need to know the people that are part of it and bring them into the fold for that. So those are some of the 
physical things that we do. We also do a retreat now that we're virtual. We do it once a year so that we all get a chance to be physically together. And then we run events over the course of the year. So we're often together. For me, a couple of other things that I really like to do is is taking that time. I like to write note cards. I know it's an it's an old practice. You see it, it'll pop up on social media. Someone will say, I just got this card and isn't it great? I like to do those kinds of things, even with my team, just to send them a note of thanks. I like I'm very big on thanking people for for everything. I'm truly Canadian that way. I say I'm sorry. I say I thank you all in the same breath all the time. I like to be thanked for things. I make sure that that it is something that I that I do on a on a fairly consistent basis. The other thing that I do from a leadership perspective that I think is really important that I didn't touch on earlier, but I'll mention now is I'm not afraid to say when I got it wrong and I get it wrong. I don't, I don't always get it right. I mean, you, you have all asked me such lovely questions that I could just answer the way I naturally answer. But I'm, I'm also very quick to say, oh, yeah, that was my idea and it didn't work. So it, that's part of listening and learning. That's part of my own development and my own growth. And I think that's important. Those are, those are important things that I do. It, even when we play games as a team, I'm very competitive, but I don't always get the answers right. And then, and then everybody knows when I don't get the answers right. And I'm like, oh man, I didn't get that answer right. But for me, it's about being who I am, being myself. I'm pretty much an open book and my team knows it. And they know that they can ask me and I'll tell them. And they know that, that I'll ask them and that they don't have to tell me. That's the other thing. I ask a lot of questions. I'm naturally curious, but I don't make anybody answer unless they want to. Again, amazing, great tips. Thank you. Thank you coming through. And I want to think we're, we're right at the end, uh, getting near the end. So I just want to say thank you, Tracy, for joining us today. Like it was inspiring, engaging, fun, thought provoking, all the things I was so excited uh, when we got connected. So this has just been terrific. The thing that really strikes me is that as you talked about across your career in a variety of different forums and different sectors. What I love is, and that's again, why and the feedback I get on the do get to lead well, and I love the do gutter label is that that's been the predominant focus throughout. That's been your focus. Yeah. And I love that that has come with extraordinary success, achievement, recognition. And so thank you for you sharing your experience, your insight, your philosophy, your stories with people here today. It's, as we saw from the questions and the comments, just have had such an important impact and an impact on me as well. So before we sign off, any final words of departure before we close this today? If my mother was around, she would say, Craig, don't give her the microphone. Why are you giving her the microphone? We all set our own marker for success. And that is something that I've done with my team. I've done it with my children. Success is, is yours. You get to define it for what it is for you. And for me, it's being true to myself. It's being someone who can pathway people along their journey and contribute to the greater good. So I am so delightful that I got to spend this hour with you, Craig. It's been so much fun. I appreciate all of the questions. I appreciate being able to share some of some of my story and it's just been great. So thanks for having me and thanks everyone for, for listening. Couldn't think of a better place to end than that beautiful definition of success for each of us to think about that it is our own to curate and live and define and share and uh, su such inspiring parting words. So thank you so much, Tracy. This has been awesome. Thank you. Thank you to everybody for showing up today. Looking forward to seeing you on the next episode of Do Good to Lead Well. 
Until then, head out there and be a do-gooder. <laughs> Bye for now, everyone. Thank you so much for joining me here today on Do Good to Lead Well. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please subscribe and leave a review. If you'd like to continue the conversation, you can follow me on Twitter at Craig Dowden or reach out via LinkedIn or email info at craigdowden.com. I look forward to meeting you here next week for another transformational episode.